Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convict, convert, consecrate, and make us wholly yours. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, we heard a reading from Genesis 3. It's the story of a garden, a tree, forbidden fruit. You know the story. Adam and Eve plant the seeds of rebellion in their souls, and they reap a harvest of struggle and pain and death. But as Father Lee said so powerfully in last Sunday's sermon, the point of that passage is not condemnation. What it reveals to us is a God who doesn't leave us there, a God who seeks us out. Adam, where are you? A God who is already working to restore and reconcile the world to himself. Even in the moment of disaster and wreckage, there's good news. And in this week's readings, we start to see how redemption and new life enter the world and take root among us and how they grow up and bear a harvest for the kingdom of God. We start to catch a glimpse of what it looks like to live beyond the deadly grip of the fall in the kingdom power that Jesus brings. If you have your Bible, want to follow along, we're at the end of Mark chapter 4. Jesus is telling parables. The whole chapter is Jesus telling parables, actually. He's famous for speaking in parables. And in our culture, we tend to think about teaching in terms of information, primarily. It's basically a data dump from one person's brain to another. And of course, Jesus does address our minds. But he also addresses our emotions, the things that we love and the things that we fear. And especially through these parables, Jesus speaks to our imaginations. These stories are meant to be subversive in a good way. They're meant to get down inside us like a seed that starts to grow. So that our fundamental assumptions about God and ourselves and the world are gradually reshaped and reordered. All through Jesus' early preaching, this is the message throughout the parables. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. People are excited. They're flocking to him from all around. It's finally happening. The awesome arrival of the earthly dominion of God. This is going to be good. And it's not just talk. We see miracles and signs, divine power in action. The kingdom of God is here, sudden, striking, earth-shattering. And then Jesus starts talking about what this kingdom is like. It's like a man scattering seed and watching day after day as the stalks start to grow. It's gradual. It takes time. First the blade then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and then when the grain is ripe, then at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. But Jesus, you said the kingdom is at hand. Now it starts to sound like there's a bunch of waiting that has to happen here. We don't like waiting, Jesus. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. What can we compare it to? Well, it's got to be something huge, right? The ocean? No. It's like giant cedar tree? No. It's Mount Everest. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. 
What, what do you mean a mustard seed? Proverbially tiny, minute. Yeah, that's probably not the image we would have gone for, Jesus. Maybe consult with a panel of representatives from your target audience before you try this again. But this is Jesus' point. The kingdom doesn't arrive in the way you expect it. It's not operating according to the rules you think you know about how the world works. To quote the sage of the Empire Strikes Back, you must unlearn what you have learned. So many of Jesus' contemporaries are essentially asking, what do we have to do? The Pharisees say, well, if we study and obey God's law, then he'll act on our behalf and fulfill his promises. Then the kingdom will come. And the zealots are sure if we can just get God's people together, pull off a successful revolution of Ro against Rome, then God's reign will be established among us. That'll do it. And Jesus is saying, no. No. The true kingdom is not something that you set in motion by your obedience, by your political finagling, by your military prowess, by your study. The way it comes is always going to surprise you because this is something God accomplishes. Even the man who sows the seed doesn't fully understand how it begins to grow. The earth produces of itself, Jesus says. That Greek word is the word from which we get our word automatic. It contains within itself a secret power, but there's a mystery to it. Nowadays, we tend to think about the growth of the kingdom in terms of projects and strategies, funding, right? Organizational models, outreach methods. Christians in our culture pay a lot of attention to social trends and political developments, cultural norms, education, media technologies. We think about how those things help or hinder kingdom work. And those are important questions, but here's what Jesus is saying. The operative principle of life and growth of the kingdom doesn't have an external source. No merely human power or strategy makes the kingdom grow. The kingdom carries within itself the source of its own life. The kingdom comes with power. And it's that implanted reality that makes it rise up and flourish and produce a harvest. I don't know for sure, but I wonder if Jesus intends us to think back to that story from Genesis 3 here. When Adam comes under judgment, you remember what does God say? Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. and sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And that's the life we live, isn't it? This life of struggle and sorrow. This is the world we know. But it's not the story Jesus is telling. Here the man sows, he participates. But the earth brings forth of its own accord. You see what he's saying? In the kingdom's arrival, in Jesus' arrival, a power's at work that's already beginning to roll back the power of the curse. And it can't depend on us or anything we're able to bring about in our own strength because it isn't operating according to the rules of the world we know. Something new is happening here. Something unforeseen, something hidden, something awesome, something 
mysterious. Because a mustard seed seems like nothing. It's so small. Until it's bruised. And then suddenly its aroma starts to spread. It seems like nothing till it's crushed and that sharp, strong flavor is released. It seems like nothing until you bury it in the ground. And then look out. You see where this is going. An early Christian preacher named Peter Chrysologos puts it this way. He says, Christ is the kingdom of heaven. Christ is the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about, folks. He's the tiny seed sown in the garden of his mother's womb, the word made flesh, who grows up, who grows strong, who stretches out his arms like branches on the tree of the cross, wide enough to embrace the whole world who is crushed for our sins and bruised for our iniquities, but in the same way that that mustard seed, when it's crushed, releases strength and flavor, Chrysologos says, Jesus' fruit has produced seasoning enough for the flavoring and preservation of every living creature with which it comes in contact. Now, I don't know about you, I grew up in middle America. The only mustard I knew about was the plain yellow stuff. I was an adult before I tasted really good stone-crushed mustard. It's a totally different thing. It's strong. It's flavorful. It is an acquired taste. Again, Peter Chrysologos. The pungent savor of this fruit will make our mouths burn. Its fiery kernel will kindle a blaze within us, inflaming our hearts. And the taste of it will dispel our unenlightened repugnance. The seed implanted in our hearts has a medicinal effect. It enlivens our senses. It retrains our desires. It illuminates our imaginations to see God, the world, ourselves, in a whole new way. And as we bear that power of Jesus' kingdom life within us, it gives a savor and a flavor and a pungency and a spice to everything it touches. We scatter this seed through our words and actions. And it changes everything. Yes, Jesus says, the kingdom starts off small, but it doesn't stay that way. The tiny seed sprouts. It grows because that's its nature. And the kingdom that begins almost invisible spreads, becomes strong and mighty, raising its arms toward heaven, providing a home for birds, Jesus says, all the peoples of the world find shade and safety and refuge under its branches. It's like the trees at the end of the Revelation to John, bearing fruit in every season, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. But of course, first of all, we need it to heal us. Because again, sometimes we're like Jesus' first followers, listening to these parables. We expect it to happen all at once. And God does sometimes act in sudden and astounding ways, right? We know this. We have these pivotal moments when a sinner turns to Jesus in repentance and accepts the gift of forgiveness. If that's ever happened to you, you know that's a life-changing moment. At baptism, when we're reborn and made members of God's household, something new begins. For some people, when you experience deep healing, 
whether that's physically or spiritually, emotionally, God acts. When we have a profound encounter with the Holy Spirit, his love is revealed in a new way, where his gifts are released through us in a way we haven't known before. And we think this changes everything, and we're right, it does. But what we discover usually, the next day or the next week or the next year, is that there's still a lot of work to be done. Everything is different, but it's not as different as we thought it might be. And the temptation is to become discouraged. Nothing has changed after all, we say. It was just that moment that was great, but now I'm back where I started. And that's when we need Jesus' story to do its work of holy subversion, help us realize, no, wait a minute, this is what Jesus said. This is how the kingdom arrives. It takes time. And often it happens in seemingly small and ordinary ways. Like the man in the parable going to sleep and rising, going to sleep and rising. We practice these rhythms of morning and evening prayer. Sometimes we don't see the results right away. Sometimes it isn't obvious that something is happening and growing beneath the surface. We keep meditating on scripture. We keep receiving the sacraments, what John Wesley and others call the ordinary means of grace. We keep doing the work of the kingdom, telling these stories about God has acted and been faithful in the past, and inviting others to join us as followers of Jesus. But it takes time for these seeds to grow. Of course, the other danger is that we forget who we're waiting on. Sometimes we get impatient and we're like the zealots and the Pharisees. We think, if I can just find the right set of spiritual disciplines, if I struggle hard enough to obey, then it won't be so hard. Then my experience will be transformed. Then the waiting will be over, finally. If I can just say the prayer exactly the way I'm supposed to, if I can get just the right words, then I'll get the miracle I've been asking for. Then everything will be all right. Well, if I could just learn the really good evangelism methods, if somebody would teach me about that, or the unbeatable argument, then I would start to tell unbelievers about Jesus. And I wouldn't have to feel awkward and uncomfortable anymore. I wouldn't have to worry about messing it up. Then I could do that. Well, if we just use the right church growth techniques, if we can engage culture effectively enough, if we ask the right questions, if we vote in the right candidates, if we enact the right policies, then the kingdom will arrive in its fullness. Then everything will be okay. And one of two things happens. Either we fail, and we think everything is lost, and we're tempted to give in to despair. Or, which might be worse, we think we've succeeded. And we begin to construct a kingdom of our own making and call it God's. Because we've fallen back into thinking that it depends on us. Brothers and sisters, I have good news. The victory of Jesus does not depend on us. That's not the story he's telling. The story is that we human beings cause all kinds of devastation and wreckage, but the God who raised Jesus from the dead is saving the fallen world. You can choose whether or not you want to be part of it, but you cannot stop it. The kingdom is coming with power. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yeah, we have work to do. 
We plow the ground, we make ourselves available, we scatter seed. We practice these ordinary means of grace. We do the work of justice and mercy. We seek to be faithful, but we don't bring the kingdom. The kingdom bears power within itself. And it's only when that kingdom power, that life gets inside us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and our wills and our imaginations, that's when we're set free to live in its power with patient hope and confident trust, with confidence. This is what St. Paul's writing about in his second letter to the Corinthians. We do not lose heart, he writes. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. You may not be able to see it, but it's happening. The seed is growing. We wait, and it's hard to wait. Here indeed we groan, the apostle says. We sigh with anxiety, not that we want to be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. When Adam turns away from God and comes under judgment, he knows the shame of nakedness. He makes himself subject to death. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. But in Jesus, God is turning back the curse. That's the message. We have a promise that even when we lay our bodies down in the soil, they go like seeds to be raised up again. That when we're bruised, when we feel crushed, when our expectations are dashed, our sorrow isn't wasted if it joins us to Jesus. That even in these things, we bear witness to the kingdom. Thanks be to God, St. Paul writes, who in Christ always, always leads us in triumph and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. Dearly beloved, you are the signs of the living kingdom arriving. And so we wait, and we work, and we speak, and we pray, and we live with patient hope and with confidence that the kingdom is alive and growing, that Jesus is here. He's active among us. That the master gardener is faithful and that he's able to make us fruitful like trees planted in the courts of his house. That the promise is sure that the day of the harvest is coming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.